0: Hello, I'm Alex Thatcher. I play Incentate from Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to Truck Untold.
1: Welcome to Trek Untold, the podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. On today's episode, we're chatting with character actress Alex Datcher, who left quite an impression with her one and only appearance in the Star Trek franchise and whose career offers a glimpse at how versatile this underrated performer is. Alex has the classic Hollywood story. A small-town girl from Indiana invests in herself, takes a big risk, and comes to Hollywood to make a career. The biggest difference between how the story usually ends, though, is that Alex succeeded and enjoyed a variety of on-screen appearances through the 90s and mid-2000s. You may have seen Alex in a number of her roles, including Martin, Sister, Sister, Diagnosis Murder, In the Heat of the Night, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, The Pretender, 18 Wheels of Justice, The Tracy Morgan Show, and Pacific Blue, to name a handful of her more than three dozen appearances on television and film. Her big break came in 1992 when she co-starred with Wesley Snipes in Passenger 57, and she was there for that infamous line, and we're going to talk about that later on in this show. And if you don't know which one I'm talking about, you're going to know pretty quickly once we get into that part of it. As for Star Trek, Alex appeared in the Season 7 opener of Star Trek The Next Generation, Descent Part 2. In that episode, most of the bridge crew is off of the ship, dealing with lore and the Borg. This means the highest ranking officer still on the Enterprise is Commander Beverly Crusher, who rallies a team of Lower Decks officers to maintain the bridge. Alex played Ensign Tate, a recent graduate of the Academy whose quick thinking saved the entire ship. And by the way, she was given a first name later on in the Starship creator of video game, Xandra, And it's unfortunate her character never returned, because based on how the episode turned out, it really seemed like she would. Alex has been in a diverse range of productions, from sci-fi to comedy, to drama, and even martial arts schlock. And we're going to talk about all of it today on Trek Untold. Before we jump into our interview, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trekuntold. and that's all one word no Spaces. You can also support this show by visiting patreon.com/trekuntold. If you want to check out some of our merch and put Trek Untold on a shirt, hoodie, mug, sticker, or something else, head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold to proudly display how much you like this podcast. And if you do happen to get some Trek Untold merch, go ahead and tag us on social media and let us know you got it. We'd love to see it. But most of all, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast and to leave a rating and a review. There is a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, as I'm sure you already know, and leaving ratings and reviews helps people find us when they're searching for these types of shows. If you're already following us or offering your support in whatever way you can, be it a follow, review, monetarily, or even just listening today, thank you for the help. There's a family of Star Trek podcasts out there, and we appreciate you joining us here each and every week on the show. I'd also like to make a quick shout-out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D-printed Star Trek-inspired products for toys and people. But you'll hear more about them a little bit later on in the show. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file.
2: Affirmative. Initiating program.
1: Welcome back to Trek Untold, and joining us this week, we've got an actress who has been in shows such as beauty and the beast hanging with mr cooper diagnosis murder sliders sister sister and 18 wheels of justice and she was also there when wesley snipes reminded us which color to bet on in passenger 57 but you guys today might remember her best as ensign tate from star trek the next generation and that person is alex datcher alex how's it going today
0: hello matthew it's going well how's it going with you
1: it's going great. I'm glad we could connect and talk about Star Trek and all sorts of other highlights throughout your career. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but I've got to ask you the first question I like to ask all my guests, and that is, Alex, what is your earliest memory of Star Trek?
0: Oh, you mean pre-acting on the show?
1: Yeah, pre-acting on the show, growing up or whatever it was. What's the first thing or earliest memory you have of Star Trek as being a thing?
0: Oh, wow. Uh, probably from my brother. I was never a Trekkie. And I remember the show coming on, and I thought, well, this is strange. But I loved watching uh, Michelle. I just thought she was beautiful. Here, here's this woman of color. I'm like, oh my god, someone who looks like me is on this TV show. That's pretty cool. And I always wanted to be an actor since I was, uh, uh, you know, a little wee child. So it was cool to see her. Um, but my brother is the one who actually fell in love with the show and became the Truckee. So through him. I got excited about the information and about the show. Oh, that's so that was, I don't know, that was pretty early on before I even had any inkling that I might be on the show.
1: Yeah, It's interesting that you mentioned that seeing the shell was kind of inspiring to you because that's the same story we've heard from Whoopi Goldberg and I'm sure many other actors and actresses, people of color who have seen that or inspired the same way. So it's just amazing how much she did in that role.
0: It, it really is. She broke a lot of barriers for us and, and it's fascinating because if you're not used to seeing someone on television who looks like you, you're taken aback. And, it, and all of your little um, energy balls light up when you see someone and you think, oh, my God, this is fascinating. I could possibly do that one day. So, yes, I can, I can see why everyone else would be fascinated by seeing her and excited as well.
1: So you were born in Chicago as Cynthia Alex Datcher, and you mentioned that ever since you were a little kid, you wanted to be in acting, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about you growing up as that little kid. What got you towards professional acting?
0: Well, my background, I just was, you know, any other child watching television and fascinated by it, and I loved watching uh, television shows, and I remember watching Diane Carroll. thought she was beautiful. She was gorgeous. It was fascinating. She came out of this little tube, and she made it exciting. And I thought, this is something that I want to do. So I think I must've been, I don't know, 12 or 13 when I decided this is what I want to be in, in showbiz. I want to be an entertainer. And I was already involved in dance and doing anything else creative that I could possibly do. So from there, Watching more television and um, having my creativity stoked in school, it just furthered my my uh, my need or grasp of wanting to attain that uh, that goal of being an actress. And so, when I went to high school, I did plays. When I went to college, I did plays. After college, um, I immediately found a studio that I could work with. Um, an acting studio became a student at the craft even more so that you know that's probably the level besides being in college where most actors professionally grow and from there it was it just you know took off it was like you know get an agent walk the pavement do what you can send out your pictures your resume and pretty much sell yourself And see if you can get someone to say, hey, I like you enough to represent you. Grab any of the plays that you can. I did a lot of plays, um, you know, in Los Angeles. Whatever I could do to hone my craft, I did it. And just hope that somebody would see me and and I would ask people to see me. And so then from there, it just took off. I got an agent who, who actually, here's what's interesting who said, you remind me of Michelle. And I was like, really? From Star Trek? That is, yeah, that was really sad. I was like, this must be kismet. <laughs> and so then she just started promoting me. And uh, lo and behold, I started doing little movies at the time and got uh, past year 57 and just started doing a lot of guest stars and other movies from there.
1: Now, when you attended acting school, was that in Chicago or at this point are you in L.A.?
0: No, I was never raised in Chicago. I was raised uh, in Indiana, and then we moved out to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is where I went to acting school.
1: And which school was that?
0: That was, God, it was a couple of schools. I went to, um, God, you're going to tax my brain now. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> um, yes. it was in uh, The teacher is long gone now. Oh, God, let me think of his name. And Beverly Hills, acting and then the uh, they were there were two that were really instrumental I went to a number of them but one was the Beverly Hills acting school and then there was another one in um the valley and that was oh I cannot think of his name or the name of the school it'll come to me later it was it, it'll come to me later but it was also another great one
1: so what's it like then for you? You're a girl from Indiana. She comes to L.A. and You're going to acting classes now, Beverly Hills and, and all over the place. Uh, is that a bit of a culture shock for you?
0: Well, California was a culture shock for me. It, it was, you know, the houses look like Adobe. I was like, oh, my God, these people living in, you know, out in the desert. Are they living in Alaska? What's going on here? I wasn't used to seeing um, those type of homes. You know, I came from, it was it was brick. And we had uh, fighting in, in, in Indiana. A- and I see it in California now. But when I first came out, I didn't recognize anything. So it was unusual for me. And then it was sunny all the time. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> it was I was like, what do you mean? It's not raining. It's not, you don't have snow. This is, this is crazy. And my mother's like, yeah, there's, there's, you're not going to freeze to death during the winter. We are moving out to California. And so we got here. It was like, yeah, the whole thing was a culture shock to me. But it was beautiful. I thought it was gorgeous, you know. I, I I wasn't used to the speckle sighting like I said, but it, it was still gorgeous. And so yeah, it was a culture shock.
1: So do you remember what the first professional gig for TV that you got was?
0: Yes I do. That was um <laughs> Young and the Restless. I had two lines, one or two lines on Young and the Restless and I thought, Oh my God Oh my God, my whole family had everybody watch for that (laughs) one line. (laughs) I think it was Mr. Jabot will see you now (laughs) because it was Jabot Cosmetics. It's funny how you remember certain things and other things escape you. That I remember.
1: That's going to be something I I guarantee you never forget.
0: Yes, Jabot Cosmetics. Mr. Java will see you now. Like it was like really fun. And my whole family's like, Oh my god, there you are on TV. I'm like, Yeah, I'm not even sure that was a great line reading. <laughs> but it was good, yeah, that was that was my first my first professional gig.
1: That's a pretty big gig to book though, for a first time thing. I mean, just to be on a soap opera kind of set. I mean, again, talking about culture shock, what's it like for you just first time being on a TV set and it being one with such a legacy as that soap opera has?
0: Oh, it was so exciting because if you recall, I don't know if you do or not do on your age, but back in the day, that was the biggest thing going. I mean, you would go to college. I go to college and people would, you know, hey, I I have to take my soap. I have to stop and watch my soap. There was nothing like it. There was nothing dramatically um, as intense as a soap opera at the time. The other drama shows were nice and they were cool and they were fun and you had Mannix, you had all those, but you didn't have something that continued and kept your um, imagination and kept you um, wanting to see what was going to happen. You didn't have that except it was soap operas. Now we have them in in our drama series and even in our, our comedy series and we've got modern day soap operas. But back then, that was, the, that was the best thing going. So it was like a big deal. I used to watch them all the time. It was Young and a Restless, All My Children, um, General Hospital. Oh, sure. That was like a major thing to get on the soap opera.
1: Another show I want to talk about that was very early on in your career. It was also uh, Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton. Uh, what do you remember about that show? That must have been an interesting one to work on also.
0: Uh, it was fun. It was really nice. I had such a great time on there. They were just sweet, kind people just yes, kind people um yeah i just had a good time i don't remember anything too that stood out too much except it was a good feeling you you remember when you work on shows whether you felt good and had a great time or you did it and that was one of the ones that it was nice it was just a really nice show everyone was really genuinely uh, sweet and kind
1: did you get to interact at all with ron perlman or linda
0: I think Ron Perlman came over and said hello to me. I don't remember on the show if we actually acted together or not, but I know I do recall talking to him. Linda, I do not. But I do recall talking to Ron Perlman, and he just seemed really cool.
1: Was he in full makeup at that point, or was he out of makeup?
0: I th- you know, here's what I kind of recall, is that we were in uh, the makeup chair. And I think because he had to be in there for a while. Oh, yeah. And he was just a, a really nice person. The talk to me was just cool. Oh, that's crazy.
1: You made your film debut, I believe, about two years later in uh, Rage and Honor alongside Cynthia Rothrock.
0: Rage and Honor. Oh my God. Rage and Honor.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going way back here. <laughs> <laughs> that was with Cynthia Rothrock, Richard Norton, and another fellow Trek alumni, Brian Thompson. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Cynthia Rothrock's movies also. So, and, you know, if you're an action movie buff out there, you can't not. Like those movies, <laughs> and uh I think this is one of the uh, more memorable ones. It's a lot of fun to watch. You were Hannah the Hun who eventually makes Cynthia and Richard fight each other. uh That must have just been a real fun place to work on, and I imagine also just a very oh. fast paced set what What can you tell us about that movie making that
0: That was so much fun, so much uh, we had such a great time I had a great time. It was my first movie, so I was, you know, come on. Everything's, everything's electric at the time. It's your first film. I got hired to play this major part, um, or what seemed major to me. It probably wasn't for the film, but it seemed major to me. Uh, and it was the, it. I was the leader of a female gang. It was like it was just, it was comically, um, fun done so well, and to watch Cynthia, fight, it was the coolest thing. It, oh, yeah. it was just great. I, I loved see, watching the fight scenes. Um, but, yeah, I had such a great, it was a joy. That was such a joy. We, we That was done here in, uh, or not here, but that was done in Los Angeles. And I think one of the downtown areas at the location. Um, and it was just a cool shoot, really. Cynthia was nice. Um, everyone on there was nice no problems that i can recall at all
1: you had a front row seat for that fight scene between cynthia and richard at least on screen you did in that arcade where you guys had the big battle scene with them do you remember much about how that was filmed and and how that scene took place Cause it's you know a pretty long important fight scene to the movie it's also a pretty wacky one seeing it how it ended up looking on film uh, do you remember anything about that fight scene
0: Gosh, that's that's so good i do not um i do not i i just remember both of them were really nice people and I, I remember that I was fascinated watching them and because number one, I didn't realize how long it took to do fight scenes. I mean, I, I don't know if that took like three or four days, but it took a long time just the choreography to get that fight. Uh, so that was fascinating to me. And then to see them actually fight and have to take pauses in between. You're talking about people who actually knew their craft, right? So when you're usually fighting, of course everybody understands it's a continuous motion, but when you have to stop for for each take, your momentum is broken. And then you have to draw yourself back and get back into it again. Take after take after take. And they were great sports. I tell you, they were great sports. They would laugh, they would have a good time. I think once in a while Someone would connect and you would go, oh, sorry. (laughs) And I would be like, oh, oh, wow, that looks so real. Because I'm a lover of of film and television. I buy into all of it. I just buy into it. You know, I just suspend belief because I'm, I'm, it's like watching the movie itself as if I'm not watching all the behind the scenes things. But it, it was, it was exciting. That's what I remember about it.
1: So in that same year, that came out, which is 1992, uh, I think you were in another film, which uh, most fans could like, probably remember you best from. That was Passenger 57 with Wesley Snipes. Uh, you were there for some great moments in that film. Uh, how did you land that role? Passenger
0: 57. Uh I auditioned. Just auditioned. I remember they were auditioning a lot of people. Um, had a the. the Casting director, whose name escapes me right now, but I just adored him for years and years and years to come. He was a sweetheart, and he just saw something because so he did, I was very unknown, and he saw something in me and said, "I'm just going to take you forward." And this was going up against people that were had been working professionally for years. Actually, I think I went up against someone that I admired as an actor and watched growing up in soap operas. So I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, and so I just continued the auditioning process and ended up uh, with me and Wesley auditioning in front of Stan. Was it Stan? I think it was Stan. Was um, a Stan. It wasn't Stan. What was his name? Oh, God, the producer, big-time producer. In his office, on the lot, So I knew it was really close. I didn't know how close. I'm thinking if I'm actually auditioning with the actor who's going to be doing this, which is Wesley Snipes. In the producer's office. So this means I got a good chance of getting it. Mm. And I don't know if I was the final person to audition or if it was me and someone else. And I found out later, as Wesley told me, it was me and someone else. Um but yeah, then I ended up getting it so it was like it was a blast. It was great. So
1: how was your rapport with Wesley the first time you met him and had to do that audition with him?
0: Stellar. I can I can never say anything bad about him. He he's just the best. He was genuine, giving, generous from the moment I met him. He helped put me at ease, said, Don't worry about it, you got this, just, you know, you can chill, we can do this a couple of times. He was he was fantastic, and working with him was the same thing. I think uh, you know there might have been an issue about something, and well, I was just like, "What's going on? You okay? Do you need me to take care of you?" I was like, "Well, I'm worried about this." He goes, "Don't worry about it. I got it." He was just fantastic. There, there was nothing. Yeah, I I can never say anything negative about him. I adore him to this day. He was a, he was one of the great partners that I that i worked with.
1: Now, I'm just curious because, you know, I understand that sometimes actors will try to get the job they're playing in a movie in real life so that they get a better understanding of things. And I'm just wondering, did you actually try to become a flight attendant to research this role?
0: No, I did not. <laughs> What's really interesting is that I already was a flight attendant. Really? Yes. I had been a flight attendant before that role. The job, as I was studying acting, I was flying.
1: Oh, wow. That's a pretty and great so job to have.
0: Yeah, it was pretty cool. What made it even, um, even more of a, of a particularly wonderful profession, if you will, is that at the time I flew, I flew for a couple airlines, but the main one I flew for was called MGM Grand Air. I'm sorry if you hear the train. I, we flew from Los Angeles to New York only, and we were all first class.
1: That's a nice flight to have.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was on a 737, and they had taken out the seats. Um, all of the, they had like 135 seats, or 137 seats. They had taken out all of those seats and put in like 35. So we had four cabins in the back, two seats each that faced each other, and that became beds if you wanted to purchase the entire cabin. Huh. So I got to fly and meet with so many people in the industry uh, business professionals, because this is first class. You had to be able to afford the flight to take it and back at that. In that day, you had to have money or be, you know, working quite a bit. We had our own um, place that you entered in LAX and left. So it was secluded, sort of. Uh, it, it was great. And I didn't necessarily tell people that, you know, I was, you know, an aspiring actress. I think maybe. A few people I may have mentioned it to. I met Will Smith and his father. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know that Will remembers that. But I, <laughs> I ended up working with him, doing some other things later on, not in acting. Um, I met um, the Oliver Stone. Ooh, wow. Who did end up bringing me in for an audition. I didn't get it, and I was like, um, uh, There were so many people. Diana Ross, Eddie Murphy... Um, Mary Tyler Moore Madonna OJ Simpson quite a few people on the plane so I would be working as a flight attendant and, and I would get auditions and I would come off the plane and my coworker friend would race me to my auditions I would change in the car <laughs> <laughs> and he would read with me as much as he could before I had to go in for an audition it was really it was it was it was fantastic yeah, that's, legit
1: Hollywood, it that's the legit Hollywood hustle right there
0: yeah, that was a good, that was a hustle yeah do, do, and so when I got passenger fifty seven we were sitting down for the first reading, they didn't know, and that's the no, no, you don't tell them that you this is what I did, so this is like you know I should be great for the role no, that's not what you're acting in space Right, that's not what you said for, but when we're sitting and doing our first read through, I had to say to the i think I said it to the director you know, this is not how the fuselage is made on this plane. And <laughs> he was like, how do you know? I said, because this is what I used to do. I did this. Was the flight didn't. It? And he's like, oh, that's funny. And I said, I know. <laughs> but so it was great. He didn't, we really laughed about it. And he did not, he had no clue whatsoever, which was perfect for me. So yeah, they didn't know that I used to fly.
1: <laughs> now you were there for that infamous scene, where Wesley Snipes says, always bet on black. What do you remember about filming that scene? Does it even stand out to you?
0: It doesn't. No, not really. It was just, it was another spectacular scene with Wesley. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, to this day now, it's become like something that is still quoted that many years later, which is crazy. But for you, it was just another scene, basically.
0: Pretty much. And I just, listened to it and I'm like, oh my God, that has just stuck around. I mean, you know, I'm, I have people that bring it up to me. They don't even know where it comes from. And I go, oh, my God, you you, you have no clue. You're, you're repeating something. You have no clue where it came from. Let me just tell you where that came from. <laughs> so, give the writer and Wesley some credit for that.
1: So not long after that, you were also in uh, just one other TV movie I want to talk about before we jump into Trek Talk. And uh, that's the Perry Mason TV movies, or at least one of the Perry Mason TV movies, because there was so many of those. But uh, you were in the nice, uh, movie... Right. Telltale talk show host, which also had Barbara Hale, William R. Moses, who you did a scene with, uh, and also Regis Philbin. Like, oh, Come on, Regis Philbin's in this movie. Um, and you also got to share the screen a little bit with Raymond Burr, I believe, towards the end in the courtroom uh, of the movie. Uh, we've spoken with folks like Carl Held, in fact. He was actually on the original Perry Mason show uh, as a recurring character. He had a lot of great things to say about Mr. Burr. So I was just curious about uh, your experiences working with Raymond Burr.
0: I did not interact with him a lot. And I was a bit uh, starstruck because, I mean, come on, I, hey, I grew up watching Perry Mason. So the fact that he was still doing the show was just, you know, that was that was the biggest little gift for me. So, uh, I mean, I interacted with him very little, as you, as you say, in that one scene. But I just was watching him. I would just watch and soak it up and say, how does this man do this? how did he continue going for all this time? Yeah, that's the real mystery of that's, Perry Mason. That, that's the real mystery. That's a, And it was a fun, fun shoot, though. Such a fun shoot. But yeah, that that is the real mystery. Yes, you're correct.
1: I'm curious, too, though. Did you get to meet Regis Philbin? Because at this point, Regis is pretty huge. I mean, he's always been a big, well-known performer. But, you know, this is kind of like the height of uh, Regis and Kathy Lee, isn't it?
0: I think so. And I don't recall meeting him. I do recall oh, there were so many other... Uh, sort of uh, TV stars on that show at the same time. I think uh, Fred, Fritz and Fred from the Evening News in Los Angeles, NBC, they were on the show as well. Fred, I flew out with, so it was fascinating to meet him at the same time, uh, because I was watching him on TV every night. Uh, And I think I may have met him and maybe Fritz. I don't recall meeting Regis. Well, did you
1: happen to meet G. Gordon Liddy?
0: I did, and I think we all had a scene together at the very end, because wasn't he the bad person? Spoiler (laughs) alert. Exactly, right? I'm so sorry. But at the very, at the the end, there was a scene with all of us together, and, you know, shooting the breeze, just talking. Um, Actually, I'm pretty much listening to them talk about other stuff, but we just chit-chatted. There was nothing major, but he he seemed like a nice guy. Seem like a nice guy. <laughs> how, how can you not be nice when you're on a TV set or a movie set? How can you not be nice?
1: Did he remember you when you worked on Eighteen Wheels of Justice?
0: No. And was this before? I think this was before Eighteen Wheels.
1: Yeah, this was a. Uh, I think at least like five, seven years, maybe before that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Before Wheels of Justice. Yeah. Um, did I work with him on Wheels of Justice? I don't. I don't think. Wait. I know you both were in then. it,
1: but I don't know if you guys ever crossed paths. I couldn't find those episodes to watch beforehand. So I was just curious that, you know, there's that kind of connection that many years ahead.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't recall. I do not recall connecting with him and saying, hey, we worked together. But you know what? That's, I wouldn't be surprised if it's there somewhere because I've I crossed paths with many people that I've worked with before. And they're like, yeah, Alex, we did this. And I'm like, oh, my God, we did, didn't we? You know, it's like you do so many over it's like 20 years. And so, yeah, my memory gets popped.
2: Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or a toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D-printed Trek-inspired products from the original series Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D-printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. What's going on, everybody? It's your girl's favorite artist, Josie's boy. And I'm Alexis A. McCoy. And we are the hosts of Call Me When It's Over.
0: We are more than just a podcast. We are a culture cast.
2: Yes, and you can check us out every single Saturday with a brand new episode. We're available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Google Play. And you can catch us on our homepage at ragsworksnetwork.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at underscore call me when it's over. That's right. And as always, speak up, speak out. And leave your ego at the door. We now return to Trek Untold.
1: All right, so Alex, let's go ahead and jump into 1993, and that is your appearance in Star Trek The Next Generation as Ensign Tate in part two of Descent, which was the season seven premiere. So, uh, can you tell us how you got cast for that? Was that an open casting call as well, or were you called in specifically to audition for that?
0: Well, would you say open? What do you mean by open? That's a
1: good question, because, you know, I'm just an outsider here looking in, so I would imagine. uh, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I, I want to say like the, so, so. I want to say cattle call" kind of audition, but I don't know if that's the right term to use either.
0: No, 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 no. So um you know after you get an agent, you're called in, and and some people say an open casting call means we're, we're just putting it out there for anybody to come in with or without an agent. But for most people, when you have agents, it's not necessarily an open call it's because they've specifically looked at your resume and wanted to bring you in. Um, They still may bring in like 20 people, but for whatever reason, they saw something in you and then your agent or manager's out there pushing you as well. And so they bring you in. So that's how that started. So I got called in and I think I had auditioned. I know I had auditioned for them a couple of times and I wasn't right for those roles, but the casting director God bless him. He really liked me. And he was just dead set on finding something for me to do. And he brought me in for this role. And and I got it. I remember auditioning on the Paramount Studios.
1: Do you remember what those other roles were since you just happened to mention that?
0: I do not. I do not.
1: I want, yeah, I wish I could knew that. Be, uh, that's that's the thing we've heard from a lot of folks when we do the show, is they've all, in most cases, auditioned multiple times, and they might not necessarily get it the first time, but eventually, maybe even years after they first right. audition, they find something for them. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing for Star Trek.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's I think there's, it, it's, it's a testament to the casting director because when they see something in you and they like you and they like the work that you've done, but you weren't right, they will bring you back. Versus saying, "Oh, they're not good. Let's just keep moving and never bring them back again." So, it, it was really great to have him do that, you know. And they they just saw that you would work hard. So it was, a, it was a, it's, a great, it's a great thing.
1: So, what do you remember about your first day on set for this shoot? First time seeing the Bridge of the Enterprise and wearing the uniform. What was that like for you? And how jealous was your brother? <laughs>
0: He was like, he was really jealous. Well, I walked on the set, and I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Look at that. This is, I'm actually on the set here. I was just in awe. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's Star Trek. You just think, oh, my God, this is Star Trek. Um, so, yes, I was fascinated, and I didn't get to work with, um, uh, you know, with LeVar or, you know, some of the other stars, but It it was still great. I I, I still just was, and I saw them walking around in uniform and, you know, at the craft table and at lunchtime, it it, it was, I was starstruck (laughs) because it was like, I'm actually on the set of Star Trek and I actually get to say some lines. And then I would panic because I have to say some lines (laughs) 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 and pretend I know what I'm talking about. So yeah, it was great. It was great.
1: And it's unfortunate that you're on the bridge and you're not really interacting with Patrick Stewart or Jonathan Frakes or Lavar as you mentioned, but you basically have the bridge to yourself along with a few other Lower Decks crewmen and Gates McFadden, who's basically taking command of the Enterprise while everybody's dealing with what's happening on uh, on the planet with Lore. But yeah, what's it like working with Gates McFadden? How is she?
0: Yeah, and my brother actually had to, to give you a little bit of background, drop on that. My brother actually had to walk me through some of my lines and said, this is what you're doing and this is what she needs when she's saying she needs you to do this. And then he would give me an analogy. <laughs> <laughs> was like, just think of it like this. You're in a game and you're do- I'm like, oh my God, this is like great. Um, so it was really pretty fascinating. And he helped me understand exactly what she was trying to accomplish. I mean, I interacted with her, but she- we didn't really talk very much. It's not. It's not. It's not like we, you know, we did our scenes together, but there was no. Once we would we would break or pause or do a a retake, she seemed like a very kind person, but I think you know she was into her role and getting her lines and things like that, just as I was. Um, And it could have been more so about me just trying to make sure I got my lines right. But she seemed like a very, very kind person.
1: So how did you like wearing the uniform? We've spoken to a lot of folks who were on Next Generation, and uh, we've heard mixed opinions on how comfortable they were. Some folks would say they'd ride up, others were okay with it. Uh, How did the costume (laughs) feel for you?
0: I liked it. It's a good fit. I thought it felt good. I, I thought it was a good fit. I thought it felt good. I liked the way they did my hair, my makeup. Oh,
1: yeah, your hair was amazing. I, in that episode. I felt
0: like it was pretty cute, right? Yeah. I thought I, I thought I could do this. If they would just bring me back again, I could do this. <laughs> and now I didn't have any problems with it.
1: So you also got to do some space acting as well, which is when the ship gets hit by things, and you have to jitter around as if you've just been blasted for real. Uh, I'm just curious what kind of instruction they give you for doing that type of thing.
0: And I remember that was trying, I have to tell you. I was like, what? Am I doing this right? I got to shake myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was, God, if I can recall, it was like, you're going to get hit. And I don't know if someone would clap their hands or make a noise or whatever they would do. And you would have to, you know, like do a jolt, like you're, you're shaking. And then it's shaking at I'm trying to type at the same time. And I'm like, okay, does this look real? What am what <laughs> I don't know if this is right. It was just different. It was just different. You know, I just tried to keep up with everybody else. And as long as the director wasn't coming over and saying, you're not doing it right, then I felt I was okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this episode was directed by Alexander Singer, who I think he got some really great-looking shots on the bridge in particular. Uh, Do you recall anything about working with him besides the space acting?
0: I do not. I do not. And that's probably a good thing, which means, you know, when directors let you do your thing and they speak to you very little, it's usually a good sign. <laughs> it means you're, you're doing a good job. When they have to give you lots of direction, that's when you go, okay. I'm maybe not quite getting what they wanted, but that's I think what directors want. They want you to come in and just do whatever you did in the audition, which is become that character, take it over. So I don't have to give you too much besides stage direction
1: so what i kind of liked about this episode in particular with your story was that how basically the majority of the crew is off ship and beverly crusher is in command and brought in a lot of the lower decks folks like yourself like lieutenant barnaby who was played by james haran he was the lieutenant who sat next to you and kind of you know you guys had a little bit of a spat during the episode uh, and also tracy Lecoco was there another former guest of the show uh so you know getting to work with all those folks I mean, was there a kind of camaraderie on set for all you guys together
0: not really. I recall that the set was, it wasn't, I wouldn't say tense, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, relaxed. It wasn't Hannah the Hun. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't you know, that type of character in that setting where people could just laugh and be jovial. But I mean, you had some serious stuff happening and I think people were expected to hit their mark, do their thing. Because it was a well-oiled machine, mm, yeah. um, and so they, you know, it was a timer. You had to do your thing. It wasn't one of those, you know, everybody chill, relax, we're gonna have. That's my recollection of it. But it it wasn't like it was intense either. It was just more, let's get the work done.
1: So, did you watch the episode when it first aired? I did. And what did you think of it?
0: You know, it's hard for me to watch myself, so I, I. I I'm so critical. i watched and I went, oh, I could have said this better. I don't know what I was doing. Th- this is what I do when I watch myself. This, I should have done that a different way. It's okay. And then my friends or other people tell me, hey, I get called. I watched you on this. It was so good. This was great. And I never see it like that. I like what everybody else does. I'm just not really particularly excited about what I do. I have to go away from it for a while.
1: Well, I think most importantly is, what did your brother think? And again, how much more jealous was he once he actually saw you in uniform?
0: <laughs> I know. He loved it. Oh, my God. He was so excited. He was very jealous. But he, he always found it fascinating. He's like, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you get up there and say that line, those lines in front of people. He's never understood that since I've <laughs> been acting up. That's always been his thing. But he was so proud. He was just extremely proud because he loved it. He just loved it. He's like, you were fantastic, sis. It was <laughs> fast. I was like, because you saved the day. I go, I did save the day, didn't I? <laughs> you did. <laughs> I like, yeah. So, yeah, it was great.
1: So, shout out to Alex's brother. Hopefully, he's listening.
0: Yeah. Come to listen. You'll listen to it.
1: <laughs> so, did you ever audition for any other parts on Star Trek after this appearance? Or was there any discussion to bring Ensign Tate back?
0: No, unfortunately. That would have been great. Not that I know of anyway. If they did have some discussions, it wasn't, it didn't, you know, roll down to me. Um, but I knew that they were always creating more shows and characters and who knows, you know, there was always a possibility. You never know. But I didn't hear anything. No.
1: So after Star Trek, you, of course, had many, many other appearances in other shows, including Diagnosis Murder, Sliders, The Pretender, The Steve Harvey Show, Good Behavior, Hanging With Mr. Cooper, a personal favorite of mine, in fact, uh, Sister, Sister, and many, many more. But I wanted to ask about your appearance on Martin, in particular, where you played a pool shark, and you pull off some pretty slick shots there. So I'm curious if you were that good at pool in real life, or if that was something they taught you for the episode, or if they just pulled in a stunt person to take those shots for you.
0: Ha ah, I would love to say I am a pool shark and I am that good in person. That good. <laughs> but alas, no. <laughs> no, not at all. That actually was uh they pulled in a pool shark. For sure, a professional to to do those shots. I yeah. Not me at all. I wish <laughs> I wish I, I wish I was that was but that was so I had such a delightful time. Yeah, and you got
1: to work with a lot of great comedians throughout your career. Like, you know, Martin Lawrence. Uh, You were with Sinbad. You got to be on In Living Color. You got to work with Steve Harvey and uh, Mark Curry. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you've been in so many great sitcoms. I mean, what was the most fun you had ever on a set?
0: God, the most fun. I did have a good time on um, the Telltale talk show. But probably Diagnosis Murder because I was working with a friend of mine. And so we got to hang out and we had a lot of fun. That was, um, yeah, that was a really good, that was a good, fun show. Good set, good set. It's, it's nice. It's interesting when you have a good set, good set of people that you work with.
1: Did you get to hang out much with Dick Van Dyke?
0: No, I did not, but oh, he's a, you know, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I'm a big fan of his. Um, so, uh, I, I like just I, watching him. I was like, yeah, you know, oh my God, Mary Tyler Moore, the big Ben Dyke show. That was, you know, was like, so just to see him, it was really cool. He was nice. He was a very kind man, just just as I pictured he would be.
1: So according to IMDb, who we know from the past that uh, their site is not always the most accurate, but according to IMDb, the last credit role you've been in was the Jokesters from 2015, and uh, they show nothing else beyond that. So... Uh, are you taking a break from acting? Are you retired from acting? Or is IMDb just way behind?
0: No, I actually took a break from acting and, um, looking forward to getting back into it. I don't know how much acting I'm going to do, but definitely getting into the creative end of it, um, in, um such as like writing and uh, producing. But uh, I will probably do a little bit more acting. I don't know that, it, that that's where my focus is right now, but I look forward to get, getting back into it. No, no, that's, that's correct. I just, I've i taken a break.
1: So during this break, what have you been doing for yourself and uh, what would you like to be doing once we get through this coronavirus craziness?
0: Oh, my God. It's, it's so crazy. So right now I have been just working on my creative um, writing projects that I'm doing on my own. So taking care of doing those and then talking to I have partners that I work with and and we have uh, items that we're working on together and producing together and coming up with ideas. And now this just stopped us. This whole pandemic put us sort of in a quandary. And so we're sort of isolated doing our own thing and talking at the same time. But it's not the same as when we would get together. Uh, So. We're just trying to make the best of it. So as soon as this lets up and we can get together again, compare notes, work together, we do much better when we're working in the same space than we're going to just hit the ground running again. Looking forward to that. I am so looking forward to that. I know they started working again, um, shooting, but I think they may have put some things on hold again. And it's, it's one of those things where you just go, this is crazy. How many people are out of work right now?
1: So you know, as I look through your resume, I see that there's a lot of shows you've worked on that were uh, helmed by people of color. And, you know, doing a lot of TV in the early 90s especially, I feel like there's a lot of, a, almost a revolution to get more of those types of shows out there on television. And there was just a lot more of them also. But uh, I'm curious, you know, even with those shows, you know, what kind of struggles have you faced as a person of color in Hollywood?
0: Well, you know, I'm sure it's it's no different than, you know, everyone else has faced. It's just a few roles. So here's an instance. So for instance, when I've gone out for uh, guest starring roles on certain shows, I would see someone that I would compete with who has been in the business for 15 or 20 years. And I would say, how are we competing for the same role?
2: Mm.
0: And we were because there just weren't a lot out there, uh, especially when they wanted a specific black person. Um, You know, it's. Specific black character, female character—that—that that, you know—that could be a mother, a or grandmother, a or judge, or whatever—it would run the gamut. She's this age up until this age. I mean, it's just—it's what it used to be. And I just—I've seen the industry go through waves. So when I worked on those TV shows that were helmed by you know black comedians who became actors or probably were actors at the same time as well. It's a way. They come and they go. And now I think it's, it's it's big again because we have so many channels. We have so many channels and so many other avenues for people to work in, which is fantastic. It's really great. Um, my agents would try to push me for to audition for roles that were not necessarily casting a Black person. So I was lucky in that sense. And I'm sure other... Um, actors, agents would do the same thing to try to get people to open up their thought process. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Star Trek is a big um, uh, proponent of that because they would bring in, you know, bring you in for a character. You didn't know what the character looked like. Yep. It didn't have to be any specific, you know, race, which was wonderful. So they were probably at the forefront of that, uh, breaking those barriers. And then it was just you would go as much as you could. My my agents would push me. I go try to change people's minds, and it, you know, and I would get seen, which was great. Sometimes I get the role, most times not. But you don't think about that. I'd never thought about that. I never dwelled on it. It was like it, it, for me it's going to happen next, onto the next one.
1: Yeah. Outside of the show, I've spoken to a lot of actors, of uh, people of color as well, who have talked about doing roles that are oftentimes stereotypical. They're kind of put into this one type of role. Like, uh, I did a a documentary short, in fact, about stunt professionals here in New York City, and one of the folks he spoke to, he he talked about how so many times the character he auditions for is thug number one, thug number four, that kind of stuff. Uh, And, yeah, I don't know how it is for women in particular, but women, people of color, but, I mean, do you ever, or have you ever had to audition for some roles that just felt like they were completely wrong, just stereotypical, but that's what was sadly there for you?
0: Oh, sure. The prostitute. Mm. <laughs> it was like I really don't want to do this. Um, this is not the role I want. It's not necessarily that you know playing a prostitute is bad. It's just that when you would watch movies and TV shows and the majority of them were black, you just like I don't want to continually foster that stereotype. We can mix it up a little bit. That would be great, you know. Because let's face it, you've got ladies of the night. Of all colors, (laughs) (laughs) rainbow, they are all colors. It's it's, it's the oldest profession um, known to man. So, you know, for black people, we're very cognizant. I was very cognizant of that fact. I didn't want to do it. I've auditioned a couple of times for it. And that's what I did on, you know, I was a detective, but I played a prostitute and went undercover in in The uh, uh, the Telltale. But, yeah, I didn't, I I think I auditioned maybe a couple of times. For prostitution, it was not what I really wanted to do, but I was also trying to stay open as an actor. I say I'm an actress; I can do whatever. I can be, you know, but in the back of your mind. You're like, I just really would rather not push that. I didn't have too, I didn't have too many things that I felt like insecure about because I felt like as an actress, you should be an actor. You should be able to play, you know, any role. But you're also cognizant of the fact that you want to, you want a further, you know, positive image of of your race, especially in a country where you didn't see a lot of them, a lot of positive in the images. So you wanted to just, it was in the back of my mind, as I think it is probably in a lot of, of black Americans' minds, or it was back then for sure.
1: So Alex, what was the toughest day you ever had on a film or television set?
0: Let me say, let, let me let me also say one of the best shooting uh Sets that I ever had was Passenger 57 because we shot that in Florida. I made friends with Elizabeth. We used to hang out. Uh, Elizabeth Hurley. Uh, I was Elizabeth Hurley. Friends with Wesley. We hung out. Friends with Bruce Payne. We hung out. It was it was it, it was really a great set, and, you know we we're shooting in Florida. It's beautiful. Um, Elizabeth and I went horseback riding. We, we just did it. it was just really wonderful. So that that was probably one of the best, if not the best set I've ever worked on. Um, I've worked on a television show that it wasn't horrible. But let's just say when I walked in, the at, there was such tension on the set. You could just cut it with a knife. That old adage. You really could. And the lead actors were, they weren't unkind, they just weren't friendly. And I felt so um, awkward. I was mm. like, okay, I don't, um, I'll just say to myself, it's, uh, I'm not sure what to do here. Right, I just, uh, just, you know, it, it's like a week's worth of work. So it's sort of like, it's, it's and when you're in an intimate with someone you're you're used to having that you have an instant camaraderie almost on set with people because hey we're doing something pretty fantastic that most people don't get to do we get paid to have fun doing it so most people are sort of aware of that so when you walk into um, a place that where the energy was tight you feel it you notice it and you just sort of are taken aback and I was and I don't want to say what it was because I don't want to point out the people, but just <laughs> say I think they had a. It wasn't about me. I think it was behind, It's never about you. It's usually about other machinations that are going on behind the, the scenes.
1: So, what is the best piece of advice, either life, acting, or both, that you ever received from someone that you could share with us today?
0: That I ever received from someone? It was probably know where your line is so that you. If you cross it, you know you're crossing it. And if you're pushed up against it, you can make a decision. And that's that moral line of being in the business. Because people sometimes may ask you to do things or you may get offered things that you may or may not want to do. And you have to know your own moral compass. Is this the direction I want to go in? Is this the line I want to cross? Is this not the line? Is this a good one for me? That was probably one of the best things I've ever received, because I've always, I've remembered it. You know, people tell you things, you don't remember, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know what you say. Yeah, yeah, don't do this, do that. <gasps> okay, I got it. And then there's certain ones people tell you, you go, hmm, all right, that's a, okay, that's good. So that, that stuck with me. Because if you know your moral compass and know your line, it's a line where you're crossed, it's a line where you won't cross, and be able to stick to it and defend it. It's really basically about your foundation. Foundation as a person. Your moral compass. Who are you? Yeah, that's, that's a great piece of that. advice.
1: <laughs> so, last question for you today, Alex. What is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe?
0: That I'm part of the Star Trek universe! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm part of that family! Did you send me that um, that picture? Did you send that picture to Scott and Scott sent it to me of all the Star Trek People, um, uh, the portrait of all the the black actors who, or yes. the majority of the black actors. Yep, was.
1: that was me. I tried to get as many um, in there as I could. There's a lot, but yeah, I tried to get uh, you know a bunch in there.
0: <laughs> I loved it, and then you added me on, and he's like, "Wait, look!" And I, I go, "Look," and I look pretty light. Can you give me a little color?
1: <laughs> I did actually do some photo touching up. Yes, <laughs> I brightened you up.
0: I wanted to make sure you got You're some rosy cheeks. I know. I love it. Thank you so much. That is like the best thing to me. is like, I'm a part of this group. That's this never ending, um, you know, intimate, forever loved group. There are so many Trekkies out there that it just goes on and on. You don't get this in other shows. I mean, where, where, where are the people from, you know, Diagnosis Murder? I love that show. Where are the people from you know, Martin. We're the we're we're the the Martinites. You know the, <laughs> the the Perry Masonites. You don't have that. You have the you have the Star Trek. You have the Trekkies. You have the Trekkies, and you're a part of that family forever. You are immortalized in that sense, and I that that just warms the cockles of my heart.
1: All right, so Alex, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this has been really great. Again, just another insightful interview, uh, and. I'm just really excited I got to talk to somebody who was next to Wesley Snipes when he bet on black, because, man, that's just the coolest (laughs) thing ever. Star Trek's cool, but Wesley Snipes, that's a whole other level.
0: He is, and he is cool. (laughs) Thank you, Matthew. This was great. Thank you so much. You have a good day. All right, you too. Bye-bye.
1: That was our discussion today with Alex Datcher, who was just lovely to chat with. I look forward to meeting her at a convention someday, and I suggest all of you try to do the same. Originally in Descent Part 2, Dwight Schultz was supposed to reprise his role as Barclay for this episode, but scheduling conflicts and cost issues prevented that, leading to the role of Ensign Tate being written. It's not uncommon in television for an actor to be unable to participate in something that they've been a major part of in the past, and thankfully moments like that give character actors like Alex a chance to shine. The story is the same with the guest from our very first episode of Trek Untold, Caitlin Hopkins, and how she essentially took over the role of the female Vorta heiress on deep space nine from molly hagen the most notable time an actor replaced another actor on star trek is probably going to be Susanna thompson replacing alice krieg as the borg queen alice played the part in first contact and when she was unable to return in the voyager episode dark frontier Susanna was called in thompson originally auditioned for the borg queen back then and while she didn't get it her audition was memorable enough that they brought her in to take over the role for three episodes on voyager However, for the Voyager finale, Alice returned for the role, because this time around, Susanna was the one who was unavailable. Funny how that all worked out. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold. Please make sure you follow us on social media to see all of our memes and daily guest updates, and who knows what else, because you never know what pops up on our pages. All you have to do is look for Trek Untold on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you think about this week's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash trekuntold to learn how you can keep our ship operating at full power. You can also check out some of our merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold. That's T-E-E spring.com. That includes shirts, stickers, mugs, phone cases, and a whole lot more. But most importantly, if you haven't already, Please subscribe to this show and give us a review and rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. If you enjoy what we do here every week on this show, please give us a five-star rating and review. It's the best way to make new listeners discover this podcast and help us grow. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. And shout out to Scott Ray for setting up this interview. If you'd like to book this week's guest for a convention appearance or an autograph signing event, email scott at scottray67 at aol.com. If you'd like to send us some feedback, suggest a guest, would like to be booked on the show, or are interested in sponsoring us, email me at trekuntold at gmail.com. Once again, this has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold.